So, uh, um, oh, I believe that God puts a dream on the inside of every person. I believe that that is why you were created and that's why you were born. But a lot of times, things happen in life. A lot of times, life happens. A lot of times, something major. We go through a train wreck in life that, that kind of rocks our world. Well, I want to tell you something. If God has put something on the inside of your heart, you really believe strongly about it, never give up on that. We want to spend the month of October diving into this subject, Dream On, and how to, how to approach and how to believe and how to work through any situation that would combat the dreams that God has for us. So you want to definitely be here for the month of October. But today I want to continue a series. Actually, I want to finish a series called How to Save a Life. The mission of our church is to is that we are a church that is committed to lead people, to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. Will you say that phrase with me? Love God, connect with others, reach the world. One more time. Love God, connect with others, reach the world. So uh, sometimes I don't, I don't do a very good job of leading you guys in what to say. But um, the last part of that mission, reach our world, that is where this series comes into play. We believe that what we're doing is saving lives. We really believe that. We believe that God has called us as a church to reach out and save people. And when we do, not so much, yes, maybe in this life, but real, uh, actually more significantly in the next life, God has called us to that. I want to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. Help us to open up our hearts and minds to receive what your spirit wants to say to us today. In Christ's name. And everybody said, once you look at your neighbor and say, I am so glad you're here. I, as a pastor, am so glad you're here. If you ever see me out in front, which I'm usually out there in between services, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm, I'm smi- that smile is real because I have preached at churches before. I have preached in this church before when there were just a few people. And it, it feels so good that, that people come and are part of our ministry and our church is growing. All these wonderful things because what that tells me is that we have a healthy church. I've been a part of churches, and I've been a part of environments where it wasn't so healthy. But when, when, we, when we are significant or when we are intentional about saving lives and we're focused on our mission to reach the world with the gospel, it keeps us healthy, and it builds our church. I want to show you something. Notable, notable author and church consultant Tony Morgan says that church goes through seven different phases. Every church goes through seven different phases, and I'm not going to get very technical here. I don't want to bore you, but there's, there's seven different stages that every church goes through. First of all, there's this stage of launch where you just, you got a little bit of something going on and, and you have a little bit of growth. That's a stage. But then you have this momentum growth because you're the latest, greatest thing. People show up. Everybody wants to see what's going on. And our church has been through some of these stages. And I remember some of these things. You, 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 grow, th- you, you grow simply because you build a church. I remember when we built this auditorium right here about, about 17 years ago. We grew about 60 people just because we bought a church and, and we built a, a facility. But then, just because you build a church, that's not enough anymore. You've got to do some things as far as strategy. You've got to get people through growth track, like, like what they're going through right now in our, other, in our other building. You've got to put people in teams. You've got to disciple people. It's, it's, it's very important because what happens is church goes through attrition. Whether we like it or not, every church decreases Statistics tell us that every church decreases about 10% every single year. That people, you know, kids go off to college. 
People relocate. People get offended at the pastor and leave. You know, churches, they have attrition by 10%. So you've got to grow at least 11, 12, 13% just to keep your, just to keep your basic number. But then what happens is we get into this sustained health. And this is kind of the sweet spot of where we want to be. That, that yes, we're growing, but more importantly, we're making disciples. And, and the people that do leave are starting other churches or they're going to other cities and they're making a significant impact on, on this world. But a lot of things that happen and every church falls into this temptation is when we start doing really well and you know, we're where we want to be or we feel like that. Well, maybe not where we want to be, but we're at a good place. We get into something called maintenance mode that we've, we've got this good thing and we don't want to mess with it. And if, when you come into our church, it feels really good. I, I hear people talk about that. Man, I love the way this church feels. Well, what happens is you start guarding that feel. And once upon a time, things made you uncomfortable and, you know, that, that you kind of dealt with that and then things were risky. Now, because the church is doing so well, you're not going to risk so much. Things aren't so uncomfortable. You got everybody wearing the T-shirts. You got everybody acting the way they're supposed to. The stage is doing. I mean, all, you got all this stuff worked out and you're getting into maintenance mode. But the thing is, is you cut back on reaching people and church becomes more about me. And we, and not so much more about they. And then all of a sudden we find that, that if we're not careful, we will get into this maintenance mode. And we're not, we're not thinking about people that need to be reached for Christ. We say that we are. It's in our mission statement. And, and you know, we preach about it. But really, we're just wanting to keep what we got because church feels really, really good. And then we got these connect groups that are happening in our lives. And I got my connect group. And then, you know, it's time for us to start a new connect group. And I don't want to be a connect group leader. And I don't want to, I don't want to break, break our group open. Or, and we don't want to invite more people because it feels really good. That's maintenance mode. And all of a sudden, we start to decrease. Not just number, but disciples. And then we get into this preservation mode where we're, we're kind of, when this, start, when this starts happening, we start dying as a church. We don't know it. I mean, the numbers could stay up, but we start dying because we're not reaching people, and it's sneaking up on us. And I want to tell you something. It is very, very important. If, you know, you can, get, you can see the last one, life support, where we're barely alive. Think, how does that happen? I talked to a pastor of a church a few weeks ago, and to look at their building and their grounds I mean, what they did decades ago dwarfs what we're doing over here. I just look at that. And I said, man, how in the world did a people come together and build a $10 million facility, you know, years ago? I'm like, hey, tell me about your church. He said, actually, our church runs about 20 people. And of those 20 people, there's, only, there's none of them under 50. He says, we're, we're just dwindling away and people are passing away. Pretty soon there'll be nobody there. We're going to have to sell the building. Once upon a time, it was a thriving church. It had momentum growth. It had strategic growth. But what happens is we lose our sense of mission. We stop trying to save lives. That's why it is very, very important to save lives. And I, I'll tell you what else happens. And if you've been part of a church for very long, when we stop our focus on what's out there or reaching people on the outside, we start focusing on the inside. And it happens to churches that are 10 or 20 years old. People start looking at each other. Instead of looking outside, we start looking at each other. We start picking at each other. We start complaining about what's going on over here, what we're doing here. We, start, we, we de develop these religious critical spirits. Anybody ever been in church long enough to see that happen? Hey, there ain't nobody any meaner than a cantankerous Christian. They're the meanest people on the planet. You know, you know the difference between a cantankerous... Uh, uh, what's the word? That word... Christian, 
that, that, that's critical and a Doberman? Lipstick. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> that made absolutely no sense. We got to edit that out. That didn't go as planned. <laughs> Don't put that online. <laughs> it sounded like a good idea. You ever say something like, whoops, I didn't mean to say that. What happens is we start focusing on ourselves and we do more harm than good. <laughs> we do more harm than good when we start focusing on ourselves and start looking at each other and saying, hey, what's wrong with, what's wrong with this person over here? What's wrong with this? This is what we're doing. This is, we need to keep the church like that. Or, I don't like the way we're doing that. Or this person, we start focusing on ourselves instead of the people that we're trying to reach. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we start doing more harm than good. It reminds me of something that happened last week. We were at Pine Mountain, Pine Mountain Trails, southeastern Oklahoma, and we were doing a Bikes for Kids event, and they invited us to come down, and I don't have a side-by-side, I don't have a four-wheeler, so I just took my motorcycle. We get down there, and that is no place for motorcycles. I was down there, with, Jesse's on the front here, I was down there with him, and I'm going to tell you something, it was, there were a couple of times I thought, it's over, so I'm going to die right here in the mountains, but anyway... We were down there, and as we were riding around with all these guys with four-wheelers and side-by-sides, and we took off. There was about six or eight of these men. We were getting it through this trail, and we went down into this area where they were going up and going down in the water and backing out of the water and showing off, and all of a sudden, this guy comes around this bend, and he goes around really, really fast, way too fast, and he tips his, he tips his little side-by-side over, and he throws a Yeti through the air, and, I mean, it basically explodes, and then we figure out really quickly why, I mean, everything comes out of we, we know why he was driving around like that. You know what I'm saying? But as we see this, we see his arm go out and his leg go out, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that guy is hurt. So, man, we get out of our vehicles and off our bikes and run up there, and we're all looking at this, and this guy stands up for a second, and I don't know what he says, but, but he's going to try to suffer through it. Hey, guys, help me pick this up, and all of a sudden, the guy just falls down, just basically starts passing out so we look at this guy and it is apparent because of the way that it looks i mean i'm no doctor but i'm pretty sure because just the way it looks the guy has broken his leg from his knee down right here he's broken right there and he's passing in and out so you know we us geniuses all run up there there's about 15 of us up there and we run up there and really nobody knows exactly what to do but we're all gonna we're all gonna help as much as we can so, you know, it's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, somebody get the ice chest. Get the ice chest. Okay, lift his leg. Lift his leg. Ah! Okay, put his leg back down. Well, we got to get it. We got to get it elevated. Let's get it. Ah! Okay, put it up there. All right, what are we going to do now? Okay, all right, let's pour water on it. So somebody actually pours water on the broken. Ah! Okay, stop pouring water on it. Okay, okay, okay. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, give him some water. You can't give him water. He'll pass out. No, no, no. He's thirsty. He's dehydrated. Let's give him some water. So it's going back and forth like this. And, and I'm up there, and everybody's all gathered around him. And I'm doing my thing that I'm really good at these, these, these kind of emergency situations. I'm watching. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that, that's, what, that's what I do. But I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm just, that's all I'm good for. Oh, man. Oh. You know, and then there's this argument that breaks out. But, you know, uh, we can't figure out what, what, what we want to do. And this argument breaks out before, I mean, right in front of this guy. She goes, she said, his leg is broken. I mean, he's laying down right there. His leg's broken. I don't know. Yeah, it's broken. It's broken right across there. Look at it. I know that it's broken. I've been a nurse for years, and I'm telling you, I work in the emergency room, and it's broken. 
I don't know. It may not be. So they're having this argument. I'm telling you, he's in bad shape. And finally, somebody at the front finally goes, hey, we're not helping. We're not helping. We need to get this guy to a place where we can help him. Let's get him loaded up in one of these side-by-sides and take him to the camp, and let's get this man some help. And we're like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. (laughs) This guy's pushing like 300 pounds. So somebody, they back, you know, the side-by-side up, and the guy that that was driving this was Jose. He's not here, but I harassed him a little bit. Anyway, they back him up. He's one of our ushers. They They back it up right there, and I mean... We have to lift him, and when I say we, I mean they, because I'm just, wow, this is, this is really bad, okay? So they have to lift this guy up. Don't put, don't put any weight on your leg, you know? Don't put, so they lift this 300-pound guy, put him in the back of this cart, and they're like, okay. So what Jose does is he takes off. Instead of taking him the path of least resistance, he takes him up this hill that goes straight up, and the guy comes rolling out, face plants on the ground, leg fl- and then the guy just passes stone cold out. I'm like, Jose, what are you doing? And he goes, he should have been hanging on. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're going to kill this guy before we get him back to camp. He was probably thinking, hey, look, just give me my own side by side. I'll get there myself. Don't help me anymore. You know, we were doing more harm than good. Same thing that we do as a church, trying to fulfill the mission, thinking that we're doing what we, we think we should do. We can do more harm then good. Listen, here's the deal. You want to you define irony? Here's irony. As a church, if we aren't saving people, we're dying. Did you hear that? Listen to this. The, the, any life-giving church, the life of a church, the life of Faith Co. Church is dependent on its focus and its commitment to save people. If we're not focused on saving people, I don't care how wonderful we might think we are. I don't care what our new facilities look like. I don't care about that. If we're not focused on saving people, we're dying. And I think that that's the purpose of God, that every church is supposed to be reaching people for Christ. Jesus said this in Luke 19 and 10, I have come to seek and to save the lost. His mission was very clear. He was constantly, people were constantly trying to to distract him from his mission. But he said, I have come for one reason, and that is to seek and to save the lost. And the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, that that should be our mission. So we talked about how saving lives, the different things that we must be, that it's important that, that we must be a neighbor. There are other things that, that we've talked about. We started talking about how if you're going to save lives, it is important that we, as followers of Christ, are evangelists. Everybody say evangelists. And when you say the word evangelist, I know a lot of times we think of that guy in a dark suit with slick back hair with all the coin phrases that, that you know, hypes up the crowd and says all these things and get the crowd going. But really, the evangelist that I'm talking about is the one that's sitting right next to you. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, you're an evangelist. Because... The Greek meaning of the word evangelist in the New Testament is one who brings or shares the gospel. And last time I checked, that's all of our responsibility, that we all share the gospel. So evangelist is simply a person who says yes to their calling. We have all been called. It's like it's just accepting the calling that was already given to you. We have all been called. It's not just, you know, Travis because he's on stage or because he's been preaching since he's been seven years old. That is his job. No, that is all of our jobs is that we have all been called to be evangelists. 
So as an evangelist, I'm going to review quickly. We said that you got to love people. The gospel is a love story. Say, so, well, I'm, re- I'm really not a people person. I really don't like people. Listen, you got to get past that. you got to grow in maturity because we've been called to reach people. And you're not going to reach people if you don't love them. Another thing that we got to be as evangelists, we got to be a witness. A witness simply somebody that can give their own personal account of their encounter with God. In fact, that is the strongest strategy that we can ever have is to be a good witness. That, that the most significant thing that you can do is share what God has done in your life. Nobody can d- debate that. Nobody can argue that. And that is the most powerful thing. You can reach people that I will never be able to reach because they trust you. And when you say something, it, it has brevity because of what God or because of the relationship that you have with them. So the best thing that you can do is simply be a witness. And then number three, we've got to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ, that God is appealing to the world through us, and that everything that we do, good or bad, it represents Christ. And we ended up last week saying that God has called us to be, as evangelists, we got to be salt. we got to be salty. What does salt do? It makes the world a better place. It may, by, it may, we make the world a better place by making a difference. Salt is the best and the most favorite season. It also cures Foods. God said, Jesus says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. I want to continue and end with my little time left. That God has called us to be the light of the world. God has called us to be light. What does light do? Light makes everything brighter. It illuminates in darkness. In a spiritual sense, if you want to take a look at it from what the scripture says, light reveals truth. And truth brings hope. Jesus said that, that when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. The truth will give you hope. Uh, in John, the first chapter in the, in the fourth verse, it was written about Jesus bringing hope to the world and being the light of the world. It says this, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I want to read that again, the f- last part. It says, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Darkness cannot extinguish light. I'm going to come back to that here in just a second. Matthew references Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus. He says this about him being the light of the world. He says this in Matthew 4 and 16. The people who live in what? The people who live in darkness will see a great light. On those who live in the, in the dark land of death, the light. shall shine. So we can see that there is a spiritual meaning to light and darkness, that, that the, the evil kingdom or the dark or the, the, the Satan's kingdom is referred to as darkness. Jesus said it of himself in John 8 and 12. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So Jesus established through prophecy and through his life and through his words that he is the light of the world that brings hope into a dark world. But listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, and we are all disciples of Christ, amen? In Matthew 5 and 14, he says, You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But but they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way, in the same way that a lamp is put on a stand to give light to a dark room. He says, let your light shine. In other words, don't be a dim light, 
but let your light shine before others. Why? So they may see your good works. You see, when we, when we, when we let our light shine, people see the things that we do. We're not saved by works, but works are important for the gospel, and works are important for our reward in heaven. Also, works are important because it reaches the world, right? We reach the world, we bless the world through our works. So he says, when people see your works, they will give glory to God the Father. So therefore, let your light shine. Amen? So light makes things visible, things that are in darkness. And, and here's the deal. You can never be too bright. Now, you can be too dim, but you can never be too bright. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not too bright. Here's another thing that that scripture says. It says, darkness cannot extinguish light. Think about that for a second. The enemy can do nothing. The enemy of darkness can do nothing to extinguish your light. That if you're in a room and it's really, really bright, and you need it to be a little bit darker, you can't say, hey, man, this light is really bright. We need to bring some darkness in here. Somebody flip the darkness switch. It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because light is not affected by darkness. Darkness is affected by light, but light cannot be extinguished by darkness. The Bible says to let our light shine. Amen? Let me show you something. You guys kill the lights if you will. Everybody turn your phones off. Turn this over. Okay, it's pretty dark in here, isn't it? I've got my phone on the dimmest setting. Can you see it? A lot of people worry. They say, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I can make a difference because the world that I live in or the environment that I work in, it's, it, it's so dark. This is how important it is. The darkest places in our world are lit up even by the dimmest light. But Jesus said this. He says, I don't, I don't want you just to be a light. I want you to let your light shine. So let's just say that you weren't just barely making a difference. Let's, ju let's just say that you were really making a difference and you really let your light shine. That's a little bit more significant, isn't it? I mean, you can see that a lot better, right? Because it's so dark in here. It's not because the light is so bright. It's because it's so dark in here that even the smallest light makes a difference. And what if I'm not alone? What if you were to open up your phone? Go ahead. Just open up your phone, put it on its brightest setting, and hold it up in the air. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we can light it up in here with our lights. Amen? Go ahead and turn the lights on, guys. Here's the deal. That's why the Bible says to let your light shine. It doesn't matter how dark it is because darkness does not affect the light. Listen to this. Ephesians 5 and 8 says this. It says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You see... There is a light that God has given to you that is, produced, that is produced and produces something that is on the inside of you. That what you see on the inside or what you cannot see on the inside of you is more powerful than what's on the outside of you. And the thing is, is we take that for granted. And God wants us to make a huge difference in the world, but we don't let our light shine. So really what needs to happen in our lives is we need to get lit. Amen? Amen. 
Look at your neighbor and say, we need to get lit. Travis, you don't understand. I am the only Christian at my work. Well, light it up. Get lit. Amen? Amen. Travis, you don't understand. I am the only Christian at my school, at college. I am the only person that lives for God. I'm telling you, light it up. Get lit. Amen? I'm the only Christian in my family. I don't, my, Christian, my family doesn't live for God. Well, this is your opportunity to get lit. Amen? Amen. Look, look at your neighbor and say, get lit. Lastly, I can't help it if you know what that term means in a different, <laughs> your before Christ years. I looked, at, I looked up the term, and it says past tense of light. That's what it means. Can't help it. Where, you, where your mind goes. Every, okay. So God has called us to be light. Lastly, if you're going to be an evangelist, you're going to save lives. You've got to be a fighter. You've got to be a fighter. Why? Because saving lives is warfare. As long as you're not doing anything to make a difference in this world, you know what? I believe the enemy will leave you alone. But when you finally say, you know what? People are going to come to know Christ because of my life. If that begins to happen in your mind and in your heart, get ready for warfare. Saving lives is war. I tell people when they come on staff at our church, hey, listen, we're at the front line of of making a difference in the world. We're at the front line. I tell people that are you know, significant and as far as being a part of the dream team or our volunteers team, listen, get ready for warfare. And I've had people come to me and say, I was doing all right until I gave my life to Christ and started making a difference, and now I'm fighting hell. That's, the Bible tells us that, that we are in a spiritual war. Second Corinthians 10 and 3 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle. Look at this. Every obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. My friend, there are obstacles that keep people from knowing God. The enemy will try to put things in, in, uh, in front of people's lives and in their path to keep them from knowing God. But we have a spiritual warfare and we have weapons to overcome the enemy. The Bible says that the weapon that we have is the word of God. That the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And it it is our weapon that we use to combat the enemy and the army of darkness. But we also have another weapon. And that's prayer. Before we do anything. And this is the last thing I'm covering. But before we do anything. We pray. In fact we pray first. It is our most powerful weapon. Listen to me. If you aren't praying before you go out. And battle anything spiritual. You're missing out on God's hand moving and going before you. Listen to me. We don't pick it first. We pray first. We don't protest first. We pray first. You can pick it. You can march. You can get upset. You can cry. You can, you can be in a bad attitude. You can get depressed. You can do all of those things. Or you can access the most powerful force in the universe by taking it to God in prayer. Amen? Listen, God will move greatly in our lives if we decide that we're going to pray. If we decide that we're going to pray first, if we decide that we're going to pray last, if we take it to God in prayer, God will move greatly in our lives. And listen, we had this phrase growing up. I grew up Pentecost. We had this phrase called pray through. Anybody ever heard that expression? You need to pray through. Let me tell you something. It's pray till you get through. Pray until you get through the pain. Pray until you get through the suffering. Pray until you get through the the, the struggle. Pray until you get through the anguish. Pray until you get through the heartache. Don't stop ever praying because God will take you 
through anything if you'll keep praying. Prayer is a natural thing that brings supernatural results. What are you believing God to do in your life? You don't understand it's impossible. Well, we, we serve a God that makes the impossible possible if we pray. Amen? What are you believing God through? Prayer is a natural thing that brings supernatural results. In fact, James 5 and 16 says, Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Who is that righteous person? The Bible says that when we give our lives to Christ, when we believe on the Lord Jesus, that we are made we are justified or we are made right with God through our faith in God. Therefore, you are that righteous person. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. So the prayer of a righteous person, it, doesn't not, it, it not only works, but it has power. That as it is working, there is great power. In fact, prayer is so power, powerful that it doesn't just change things, it changes everything. Prayer is so powerful that it takes the impossible into the possible realm. It brings hope to the hopeless. Prayer is so powerful that it makes a way where there is no other way because it activates God's hand to move in our lives. Don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life. Don't miss out on the supernatural blessings and the supernatural hand of God in your life. Don't miss out on that by not taking it to God in prayer. If you want to see your life changed, then start praying. If you want to see your family saved, then start praying. If you want to see your friends saved, start praying. If you want to see this world saved, then start praying. The word says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If they will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Would you agree that we live in a world, we live in a country, we live in a culture, a society that needs healing? This is where it takes place. It takes, this is where you kneel. You kneel before God in prayer. That's what you do. You stop worrying about other things. Don't do anything that you, or stop worrying about anything that you can't do anything about. And go to the person that can change your world in prayer. Amen? I'm preaching better than you guys are amen. I want to close with this. First Timothy 4 and 16 says, Timothy, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourselves or on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And this is kind of like the, the, the scripture that I want to leave you with at the end of this series. These are some of the last words of the Apostle Paul to his young apprentice, Timothy. Pretty soon, the Apostle Paul will be martyred. And Timothy was like a son to him. I mean, he kind of raised him up and made him who he was. And he was this young pastor, did some incredible things. Pastoring this church and starting this church, I believe it was in Ephesus. I mean, it was a huge pagan community, large metropolis type of city and he was writing him a letter listen Timothy I want to tell you something pay close attention to your life pay attention to how you live in front of unbelievers he would say take care of yourself 
And also, Timothy, pay close attention to the words that I'm teaching you because when you do these things, not only do you save yourself, but you save others who hear you. I think if we're not careful, we lose sight of the fact that there are other people that are counting on us to live the lives that we're supposed to live for God in order for them to give their lives to God one of these days. They don't know it. I mean, you see them every day. You see them at the gym. You see them at school. You see them at college. You see, you see them at, at work. You see them in your family environment. You see people every day. They don't know it. But I guarantee you, they're counting on the very fact that, that you got you to do this. you got to live for God. you got, you got to fulfill your purpose in God because if you don't, if you fall, if, if it doesn't work out for you, there are people that aren't going to know Christ. See, what we do here, it really does make an eternal impact, and it saves lives. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, but I also want to encourage you that we have the gift and the responsibility to save lives. And one of these days, on the other side of heaven, and the new heaven and the new earth, there are going to be people walk up to you, and they're going to high-five you, and they're going to thank you for what you did for them. That, that not only did you pray for them, but you walked the walk. You didn't just talk the talk, but you walked the walk. And their family's there because of your, of your witness. Your, their family's there and all the people that got saved because of, of, their, of, of their walk with Christ. And it was all because you reached out to somebody. It's that significant. And one of these days, you're going to walk up to me in the new heaven and the earth and you're going to thank me. You're going to thank me for these kind of messages. You're going to thank me for harassing you a little bit about staying in there. But it's worth it because we're saving lives. Amen? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and I thank you for speaking to us. Lord, And where my words fall, where my words fail, I pray that your spirit will interpret what needs to be said, and it will be implanted deep in the hearts of people today, and it will bring about life change wherever it needs to happen, whatever needs to be done, Lord. Lord, if it's an issue of we're neglecting our responsibility to reach out to people, or maybe it's an issue of not knowing you, wherever we are, challenge us and confront us today. In the name of Jesus, as every head is bowed, and, and maybe you're praying, maybe God is speaking to you today, I would encourage you today to respond, to answer to what he might be saying to you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Travis, I know God. He's Lord and Savior of my life. That's, that's not the issue. But the issue is, is I have neglected this responsibility to reach out to people. That I have not used my gift of evangelism. That, that I live my life every single day and I don't really consider whether or not people know Christ. And I really feel like God is speaking to me today. That I need to take a step to make a difference in the people around me. If that's you, I want to pray with you. You don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. I just want to pray, and as I pray, I, I want you to pray with me. If you're seated next to somebody that you love or you're close to, I'd like for you to take them by the hand. The Bible talks about the significance of two or three people gathered together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's here, and I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And I thank you that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are. If there is a change that needs to take place, God, you will confront us on a Sunday morning. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to people today. 
And thank you, Lord, because we know you. Thank you, God, because we serve you. And we know the truth that, Lord, you have called us. And you saved us for your purpose. And that is to be salt, to be light, to be evangelists, to be witnesses, to love people, to go into our world, and to be the body of Christ. So I pray, Lord, that if we're failing in any area of this, God, if, I pray, Lord, that you will first help us to recognize how important our responsibility is. And second of all, I pray, Lord, that we change. Whatever change needs to take place, maybe it needs to be that we need to take a look at our priorities and anything that would keep us from being the people you've called us to be. Father, maybe we need to grow in our love for people. Maybe we need to grow in our knowledge of the word or be closer to you in our prayer life. Whatever needs to take place, that we will be your people and reach our world. I pray that it happens in the name of Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. And this is for anybody here that doesn't know Christ. If you're here today, you can say, Travis, I don't know Christ. He's not Lord and Savior of my life. You can say that for any reason. Maybe you can say, Travis, I have never, never asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. I have never asked him to forgive me for my sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. I've never done that. And today, I would like the eternal security of knowing that I've made peace with God. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I once lived for God, but I walked away from him, and I'm not living for God today. And I believe that God is speaking to me. I really feel like he's calling me home. It's okay. Listen, God never walked away from you, but sometimes we might walk away from God. He always welcomes us back. If you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ, maybe that's your story. Whatever the case may be, you're here and you know you're not right with God and you want to know. Before I pray this prayer, I just want to know if I'm praying for anybody. I won't ask you to come down here. I won't single you out. We're going to pray just like we prayed, but I would like to know if I'm praying for anybody. So if that's you, you can say, Travis, today I want to make things right with God and I'd like you to pray, and I'm going to pray that prayer with you. Just real quickly, slip your hand up and slip it down just to let me know you're serious about this. Can anybody say that? I'm just going to ask one more time. There may not be anybody here, but just in case, I see your hand up here in front. You can put it down. Anybody else? See your hand in the back, right. See your hand in the middle in the back. Anybody else? Just, just to let me know you're serious. Okay, we're going to pray. And as we pray, maybe you did lift your hand or maybe I didn't see your hand. God saw your hand and more importantly, God sees your heart. So go ahead and pray with us even if you didn't raise your hand. And today you can give your life to Christ and come home. Let's all pray together right now. Dear Heavenly Father, as I'm before you today, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me whole. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate.